Hey, what's up? Sean here with another episode of Locked on Raptors, and it's a fun one today. We're joined by Tony East of Locked on Pacers, one of my favorite dudes on the entire Locked on Network, to talk all about the Raptors rematch with the Pacers coming up here on Saturday. Also off the top, I will talk about the Raptors and the magic in the Barnes versus Suggs Bowl, something I'm sure that will be not at all terrible on the internet. We will talk about that in just one second here. Coming on up on today's episode of Locked on Raptors. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the bridge of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Welcome to episode number 1046 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, October the 29th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. And you can find the show on all of your favorite podcast platforms for absolutely free. The low, low price of On the House. And you can subscribe on YouTube as well. Just go to Locked On Raptors. Hit that big red button. It's very much appreciated when you go ahead and do that. All right. On today's show, as promised, we're talking about the Raptors and the Pacers with Tony East of Locked On Pacers in the second and third segments of the show. We talked for like half an hour. It's going to be a longer episode, but I could not start the show without digging first into the Raptors game against the Magic coming up on Friday night. Not a terribly intriguing matchup like X's and O's wise. I have a couple things I'm looking for, but not really a whole lot. This really is about Scotty Barnes against Jalen Suggs, even if it maybe shouldn't be because we don't need to be making grand proclamations about who was right and who was wrong before the draft began. But we do that anyway because it's the internet and all that stuff. But uh, we will talk about that and get to that in one sec, the Scotty Barnes of it all. But I do want to just kind of talk about my takeaway on this game and sort of what I've been looking for from the Raptors in this Magic game tonight. This is the first game I think the Raptors have played against a team that I would consider a a pumpkin team, like a team that's not very good, a team I figure to be very high in the lottery. And they performed really well against some good teams so far. I think they held their own against Dallas quite well, obviously smacked the the Celtics, and who knows how good or not good the Celtics might be. There are already some pretty troubling vibes coming out of Boston there, but they have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. They have talented players. That was a very impressive win that is going to keep me going for a long time, I can tell you that. But they haven't really played a a pumpkin team. You know, the wizards pretty reasonably sort of in the same range as the Raptors, the bulls looking pretty damn good. The Pacers, I think in the same range of the Raptors as well, the magic, not good at all. And I'm very curious to see if the Raptors can pull out just like a very comfortable win against Orlando. I know it's just the first game they played against one of these bad teams. And so it won't be telling of anything in sort of the grand scheme of things, but I would just like to see them come out and smack a team. They're very clearly better than that, better than there's no reason for them not to beat this magic team. They're looking rough right now. They're missing some key players as well. Jalen Suggs has been, I think overextended in a very unfair way to Jalen Suggs and those who will talk about Jalen Suggs are going to sort of look at his numbers and say, wow, Suggs, not good, but like he's playing on the magic. There's not much in terms of infrastructure to help a point guard who is ball dominant and is going to need some outlets to pass the ball to, to make himself sort of sing and and be Jalen Suggs. So, you know, I just think with how rough this team looks, how just sort of uninspiring they are, 
it'd be nice to see the Raptors come out and just kind of, kind of stake a claim to being a team that is not going to fool around with these kinds of bad teams. We know this was a trademark of the Raptors from like 2015 on, really. They just never lost to bad teams. They would routinely sweep season series against really bad teams across the league. And it would be nice to see them kind of get back to that because last year in Orlando, in, in Tampa, they were very bad when it came to playing against teams that were their, I guess, equals in the grand scheme of things, considering they were the seventh worst team in the league. But talent-wise, their roster was way better than a lot of those other teams, especially early in the season, before things kind of really, you know, went, went to crap. Like that two and eight start, some of those other games in there, uh, you know, in that 17 and 17 start, even some of the wins during their great stretch where they were 15 and eight came against teams that stink. And they often played up to their competition against very good teams and performed quite well. I hope to see a return to form where it's just a cruise control victory against the Orlando Magic tonight. And there's no reason for them not to do it. They have, you know, the same roster they've had so far this season. Maybe Utah Watanabe comes back. There's no uh, shoot around Wednesday, Friday morning. So we won't really know, I think, until before the game, what the deal with Utah is. But he could be back in the mix here. Obviously, there's some chemistry building with this roster. The starting five has been really good now, a plus 23.7 net rating in 86 minutes. Uh, the only lineup on the team to have played more than 11 minutes. So, you know, it, it remains to be seen how they find some other continuity around the rest of the game. But that's been a really nice thing to see. And I think they should be able to come out and lay the smack down on this Magic team that is not good at all. Uh, and I, I hope we see it. And I hope that this is the beginning of a trend where the Raptors aren't going to mess around with these garbage teams that they should be beating because in the league this year, you can't afford to be giving these games away. The league is too loaded. It feels like every person I follow who covers or watches a team has posted a screen grab of their schedule to say, wow, this schedule is hard. I think that might just be the case for everybody. Everyone's got a hard schedule because there's not that many really bad teams. There's lots of teams that are interesting to good. And if you're blowing games against the magic or the Pistons or the rockets of the world, you're probably going to find yourself on the outside of, of that play-in race looking in. And, you know, it's way too early, obviously. It's six games in. It's too early to be worried about play-in races and all that stuff. The Raptors don't even have their best player back. They haven't even reached their final form. But I do think all those games are going to be important this season. There's going to be an extra sort of level of importance and stakes to these types of games because you can bet your ass that a lot of these teams are not going to be blowing games against the Magic or the Pistons or the Rockets or these other teams that are just kind of kicking around at the bottom of the standings. There's not many teams to feast off of to get wins, so feast when you can. Otherwise, it could get pretty tricky. With that, let's talk about the Barnes versus Suggs thing. I don't really want to talk about the Barnes versus Suggs thing, but it's going to come up because that's just how this thing works. I really don't want to hear like any sort of proclamations about where the Raptors right into picking Barnes or Suggs. Obviously, just be happy with the dude you got. Scotty Barnes rocks. He's incredibly fun to watch, even if you were a Suggs head at the time, which I admittedly was pro-Suggs. I wanted Suggs at the draft. My tune has changed, of course. And ultimately, I think the ultimate sort of uh, thing here is that whoever took Barnes and or Suggs, you know, it was going to depend on like location where who was going to end up being the better player. And I think it's fair to say that you can now pencil in Scotty Barnes to potentially have an inside track at a better career than Jalen Suggs because he plays for the Raptors and not the Orlando Magic, the team where dreams go to die. And so, again, there's no need to get like, I guarantee you Jalen Suggs would look better with the Raptors than he has so far with the Orlando Magic. It's just how it works. The Raptors are good at this stuff. They're good at development. They know what guys are good at. They know what they need to work on. We've heard them talk about very openly the ways that they've helped impart development already onto guys like Scotty Barnes and Delano Benton. So 
just none of the old oh, Raptors were right thing. None of the old oh, Raptors were wrong. If Suggs goes off for 30 and Barnes has his first rough game of the season, I think the smarter people, the level-headed people won't really do that stuff, but I don't think there's a whole lot of need to really sort of belabor the point of Barnes versus Suggs, and they certainly aren't going to belabor it because they're like best friends, and I don't really think they're going to play into it. There's not going to be some sort of rivalry there. Maybe Jalen Suggs will have some sort of chip on his shoulder because the Raptors didn't take him, but ultimately... It's all kind of boring and uninteresting to me, the sort of Barnes versus Suggs comparison, especially six games into their respective careers. So with that, I will leave behind the talk about Jalen Suggs versus Scotty Barnes. Look forward to the Pacers and Raptors with Tony East coming up on the other side here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at McDonald's. This episode of Locked On Raptors is brought to you by McDonald's, serving communities proudly since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than just a place to get tasty, affordable food. It's a place where friends and family can't, can come to reconnect, a place where classmates can meet up for study groups. I used to do that all the time. Uh, not really studying, maybe skipping class, but either way, sometimes studying. And also, their dependable Wi-Fi is wonderful, and that's what people go there for as well. And of course, you win or lose, it's a place where teammates, competitors, the home team or the away team can come to recharge. Who didn't love going for McFlurries after a game? It is the place to always look forward to stopping on a long road trip as well. I love me some stopping at McDonald's on a road trip. It is an absolute delight. Sometimes I'll eat exclusively McDonald's on a road trip. I used to drive, or I do drive regularly out to Nova Scotia. 18-hour drive, do it in one day. I one time had McDonald's for every meal, and I was damn happy I did because all the other options were garbage. So head to your local McDonald's to refuel and reconnect. Did somebody say Locked On Raptors watch party? You can watch stuff at McDonald's. They have TVs. I one time watched World Cup soccer there. I was out working, doing my day job, walking around the streets, and then I walked into a McDonald's to watch a big huge world cup game a little while ago a few years back and it was great either way huge thank you to mcdonald's for supporting the podcast i'm loving it hey sean woodley here from lockdown raptors with uh tony east one of my favorite people on the lockdown podcast network here talking raptors pacers they played on wednesday they play again on saturday uh the raptors have an orlando magic filling to that pacers sandwich the nets i think are the filling for the pacers am i correct there tony how's it going buddy <laughs> Unfortunately, you're correct that the Nets are the filling. Sean, today, here's what I was thinking about instead of trying to think about the Pacers getting embarrassed in, in Toronto on Saturday. <laughs> we call Thursday Friday Junior. Why don't we call Wednesday like Friday the 3rd or something? See, these are the mm. thoughts that I have to mm -hmm. avoid thinking about what happened to the Pacers Wednesday. <laughs> That was, uh, I mean, from my perspective, it was a good time. Uh, <laughs> it was their first win sure. at home since the last time they played the Pacers in Toronto, which was fun. They beat the Pacers by like 46, I think, back in February 2020. Uh, on a pretty good run of hilarious wins. I think the one before that, too, was when they came back from down like 12 with two minutes left. So they're on a run of beating the Pacers in pretty funny fashion at home. Do you uh, know the last <laughs> Pacers win in Toronto? Oh, that's a good one. Do you know the uh, year? Okay, I could guess the year. I will guess it's got to be a long time, otherwise you wouldn't be asking me. I'll say yeah. 2014. 2013. Very Ooh, close. Yeah. Wow. That Bad. Is, uh, and like some of those Pacers teams were good, right? Like 14, they went to the conference finals. Am yep. I right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Maybe the wow. Raptors. Wow. Uh, well, it's crossover time, baby, which means we're going to talk about uh, we're just kind of we're going to go back and forth and learn about each other's teams. We got to get a, a, an original look at the Pacers and Raptors last night. And, uh, you know, there's more to learn. And I, this is, I, I think, a thing I'm going to miss about last season where you had those little mini series that teams would play is you got like the sort of adjustments and whatnot. And you could sort of think about, OK, that happened in game one. How does it apply to game two? Obviously, there's a game between these ones for the Pacers and Raptors, but 
you know, same idea, basically, pretty fresh in the mind will be these two teams. Uh, so, Tony, let me ask you, we, we were talking about how the Pacers were very bad yesterday. They scored just 100 points against the Raptors, which, hey, most teams are having trouble scoring against the Raptors. Maybe the more concerning thing is the Raptors put up 118 on them and looked pretty good doing it. OG and OB kind of uh, realizing there is not a single person on this team who can guard me still, and we're going to leverage that for all it's worth. What's the deal with the Pacers, man? They're one and four. They've had some overtime games. It's maybe not as bad as it looks, but also maybe it's bad. What's the deal? Yeah, the the Raptors game that you guys just saw was their worst game by far, right? Mm-hmm. One point loss in Charlotte, whatever. The Hornets are actually looking good this year, right? That that looks okay. One point loss in Washington, same deal. Eh, but the Wizards look good. They only lost one time. They beat the Heat. They played okay against the Bucs. actually played pretty well, but the Bucs are just better. And mm-hmm. then that you saw that Raptors game where they, I mean, they didn't even look like they wanted to put up a fight. And that's a theme I keep hearing from people who watch the Raptors a lot is all these teams that play the Raptors, they come out of the game and they go, wow, we, you know, we had no fight when we, the whole game and we were turning it over too much and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, mm-hmm. I get how every team can think that, but I think the Raptors are just doing a really good job of taking teams out of their game. And they did a good yeah. job of it and embarrassed the Pacers on Wednesday. Yeah, they're very good at sapping the will to live of the other teams. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I get exhausted watching them play defense. Like, this, it just feels like it has to be a nightmare. Like, against the Mavericks on Saturday, they ended up losing in the second half because they kind of lost it a little bit. But in the first half, they were just like every single drive, there are three arms just in the way. There's just like arms all over the place. It's a tiresome amount of arms, it seems. And yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised the Raptors had a good defensive game against the Pacers. They really seemed to load up on Demonte Sabonis and realized, okay, this guy's the hub of the Pacers. And, you know, Chris Duarte is a fun story, but I don't know if we're trusting a rookie to carry the day against our defense. That's probably not going to go super well for him. And, you know, they took Sabonis out. And then, you know, when that's the hub of your offense, it's going to be hard to create a whole lot. Are there any sort of like counters that the Pacers have when Sabonis is cut out like that? I know Brogdon is like a pretty good on ball guard, but maybe not exactly what you want to run your offense. Kind of akin to Fred Van Vliet in a lot of ways, I would say. What's the sort of deal? What's the game plan when a team does say, all right, Sabonis is our target and we're going to make life miserable for him and make it so the rest of the team can't really operate the way it typically would? Typically, it's finding someone else who can get into the paint and, you know, make someone else get open or make cutters valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to credit Kalen Cooper for really getting this idea into my head before I rewatched the Pacers Raptors from Wednesday. But what they, they even started to do that in the third quarter, because before this game got completely embarrassing for the Pacers, remember, they cut it to like, what, five or six early in the third before Brogdon got hurt because yeah. they were using Sabonis as a decoy a little bit to get other guys into the paint where they actually were able to score. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what their counter's been. And TJ McConnell has done well at getting into the paint, despite not being particularly effective this year. And Brogdon has been carrying them in terms of getting into those areas. Miles Turner had a 40-point game because he was able to do it. Like they, they have guys who are able to do that when Sabonis is shut down. But against the Raptors, because they were just swarming the ball, coming around screens and forcing all these turnovers, they couldn't really get into that rhythm, especially once Brogdon exited the game and they didn't have the personnel even to get guys into the paint. So the Raptors... By fortune of that injury and by their brilliant game plan, just the Pacers had no answers. Yeah, and I feel like I'm kind of running the show here, Tony. Do you have any, like, raptors sort of queries for me? You can Uh, fire uh, them away at me as we kind of, uh, you know, assess where these two teams are at. 
Yeah, of course. How is it legal to have this many good ball handling six foot seven to six foot nine <laughs> players on the same team? Well, I think if you asked a Raptors fan, if you pulled Raptors fans, how many good ball handlers are there on this team? They would say there's like two uh, because the half court offense does not look very good. Yeah, right? okay. like it, I understand. Like it's it's a weird sort of thing because even in the first game of the season, they're starting five. They threw out Fred Van Vliet with uh, Goran Dragic, OG Ananobi, Scotty Barnes, Precious Achua. And in theory, all five guys can dribble and put the ball on the deck. It just didn't lead to much in the way of success. They scored like 83 points in that game. The starting five was terrible. I think it's a different sort of, there's like the guys who like have a clear handle. And then there's guys who know what to do with the handle. And I think like that's a much smaller number than the sort of number of guys just on in, when you sort of look at it, who can put the ball on the deck and kind of have that sort of dexterity, like precious Achua, love him. He's an absolute delight to watch and he's a chaos agent and he's great. But like, I don't think that guy has any clue what he's doing when he puts the ball on the deck. He just like is going with what happens. And that's kind of cool where he's just like doing like pirate mentality, wherever the wind takes me, let's go. But it's not exactly going to you know lead to a lot of great offense. And then, like, even Fred Van Vliet, as much as, like, a good ball handler as he is, you know, he's got limitations. He's six feet tall. He can't finish around the rim all that well. And so that leaves you with, among all of the tall dudes with, with handles, like, it's like Scotty Barnes, who is still a rookie. And there's, you know, he's got more turnovers than assists right now. He's still kind of learning the team and learning the NBA speed from a playmaking perspective. He's got way more scoring punch than I ever thought he would. But as far as playmaking, it's still coming along. And even OG, like, there's still you know, a little hiccup with the handle here and there. It's all guys who like, I bet six months from now, we're going to be like, wow, everyone in this team has a handle and it's like unbelievable. It's still kind of speculative at this point, but yeah, that, that's the Raptors MO, right? They have clearly decided, okay, we're going to try to be ahead of the next wave in the NBA. And they think the wave is everyone is tall and everyone can handle the ball and everyone can play defense. And then we figure out the offensive part later and usually the offense will be helped by the fact that the defense is going to be very, very good and force turnovers. And you're going to run down the other team's throat and get a bunch of transition looks. You know, it, it was interesting last night that I didn't really think it was the transition game that really did much for them against the Pacers. It was more kind of leveraging that low post presence with OG and kind of having that, you know, turn into, you know, good things for everybody else. And then obviously Fred Van Vliet just cooking some bonus in space was pretty fun too. But uh, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, fun. Uh, it, very fun. Yeah. I, I had a really good time, but it was just a really sort of, I, I thought, you know, my sort of takeaway from the game was it was sort of a, an example of what the formula is going to be for this team where the defense kind of holds up and then they just kind of scrape out enough on offense. And I, I thought their half court offense looked better last night than it has all season long. And I don't know what that says about the Pacers because, you know, teams like the Bulls and the Wizards have done a really good job containing the Raptors so far this year. Maybe they're kind of finding their their stride, their chemistry is coming along, but maybe there's something... Uh, it, unfixably wrong with indiana who's to say <laughs> they have some embarrassing point of attack defenders jeremy mm -hmm. lamb being high up on the list and even though every time he plays the raptors you know he's going to shoot 70 percent and hit some ridiculous shots as he did on wednesday he's no buzzer beaters last night it was bizarre no yeah for raptors <laughs> fans and no buzzer beaters for him is a big deal his defense is atrocious you know duarte for how good he has been he's a rookie playing defense like scotty barnes yeah. is the outlier and that he's actually incredibly good at doing so as a rookie. All right, Justin Holiday's thin, so he's good, but has limitations. O'Shea Brissett's kind of the opposite. You know, he's not quite quick enough to be awesome on that end. They didn't even go to Torrey Craig hardly last night until the fourth quarter. Right, that 
basically, if Miles Turner can't clean up every mess, like their point of attack mm-hmm. defense just doesn't allow them to do really well. And the other problem they have, and this is my second question to you about the Raptors, yeah. is they, they never have had this. They can't contain strong forwards, like bulky, strong scoring forwards. And like OG put up 30 against them last year, if you'll recall, yeah. in Indianapolis, right? So I was curious in this game if they would go to Craig to put on him. That seems like they're signing their solution. Great. Or how if they maybe would like overload him or try something else. And they're like, no, we have no answers. We're going to let him score 16 points in the first quarter. <laughs> so one, I read a lot this summer and heard a lot from the Raptors of like, this is OG's ascent year with Pascal out. No yeah. more Kyle Lowry. Like he's going to have the ball more. He's going to be better. So one, how has he fit into that role? Because I know uh, Nurse talked pregame about he's kind of missed some layups, but in general has looked good as a self-creator. And two, uh, do you feel like that's a good role for him? Because he certainly kicks the Pacers butt every time that he plays them. (laughs) Yeah, if they're playing the Pacers every time, yes. uh, All NBA level player, all OG and Anobi, it's uh, (laughs) undeniable. But yeah, I think with OG, you know, I think he's going to get there at some point where you're okay with him being like your 1-1-A type guy. I I don't know if that's going to happen this season. And they're having some growing pains with the sort of the burden of being the number one. And a, a bur- the burden of being a number one, I might add, when the other team, when the team's actual number one is out and there's not a lot of space on the floor. I mean, he's playing next to Precious Achua and Scotty Barnes in that front court. Neither guy is even like a remote threat to hit a three right now. And so there's not a ton of space he's operating with. And I think the worst of OG so far this season has been when he's kind of felt like he needs to force the issue, maybe some forced pull-ups where he's not quite on balance. And obviously you have to learn how to shoot off balance if you're actually going to be a bonafide number one one day. But I think the sort of the, t- the times where OG's looked best is when he's been like a really damn good number two, where he's been cutting, where he's been sort of, you know, he's been a trailer in transition waiting for those threes to kind of pop back out his way. You know, there's been a lot of number one stuff, and I think the last night against the Pacers, we're recording this on Thursday, by the way. It's also why I'm wearing the same clothes as I wore in the Thursday episode of Locked on Raptors, if anyone's <laughs> thinking I'm a bum. Uh, but, you know, the the game against the Pacers, that was clearly the best he looked in that clear number one role, and he was leveraging just how little the Pacers had to throw at him into, you know, obviously getting some doubles sent his way and then finding, you know, Kem Birch underneath for an and one or finding Scotty Barnes flashing to the nail. That type of stuff is coming along. I think the reads are there. He's always been a good playmaker. I think it's just growing pain stuff, right? And you're going to have those games when you're learning the ropes as the number one where you're going to shoot three of 17 and have four turnovers and one assist. Like, that's just going to be how it happens. I I think the last few games have been really promising for him, though, and I think it's going to be really good for him when Pascal gets back because he won't have to have all of that burden. You know, he can be a guy who maybe sets a screen for Pascal and they can kind of run a weird three, four pick and roll. Uh, You know, he can be a guy who runs some pick and roll here and there, but it's not the primary way he gets his offense. He he can kind of post up as well. That's been a pretty interesting part of his game. So it's going to be a kind of blend. And I don't think there will be a clear number one necessarily. I think Pascal will have the highest usage on the team, but the way OG is trending right now, I think if he kind of slots into that number two on this version of the team, it's going to be really good. And then obviously down the line, you know, maybe he can kind of become that number one where you're comfortable with him having 26% usage and he's going to be around a 57, 58 true shooting. And you're going to be okay with that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And, you know, Pacers fans always seem to bring up that he was available in the draft uh, the year <laughs> they did not pick him. And he DJ went to Leaf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> DJ Leaf, you know, not in the league right now, so... I always will be both curious about his career because I talked to him at school and college and because now he's awesome and kicks the Pacers (laughs) butt every time they seem to play him. And I'm happy to see his ascent. I think he's like the perfect 
like, okay, Fred Pascal, OG is like a great trio for both being good and kind of growing with a young core that the Raptors have. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, I am really intrigued by how the Pacers are going to approach him in the next game. And, you know, how do they adapt to what obviously didn't work on Wednesday? And we should talk about that, Tony. We should uh, get to that in one second here. But uh, I think you have some words to pass along about our friends over at Bet Online. Am I correct? Of course I do, because they are back and better than ever. BetOnline.ag, they've got a new web interface for the start of basketball season. We're only a weekend, but it looks great. They have more props more odds and lines than ever before. They remain the number one place for all the basketball and football action this season. You can head over to their new updated desktop site or their mobile website and sign up today for all the action at betonline.ag. If you do sign up, and when you do, you use the promo code LOCKDOWN, you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. They've got basketball, football, baseballs in the World Series. Can't root for the Braves, never root for the Braves. NHL, boxing, UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Do not wait to take advantage of everything they've got over at betonline.ag. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. What an admirable job you just did there, Tony. And I am now going to tell you about our friends over at Bet Online, who are, of course, making the best-tasting protein bars. You can find anywhere. They've got nine amazing flavors in their standard lineup, including my favorite mint brownie. They've got orange, which is very good as well. Strawberries in there. Cherry Barcia is quite good too. And if you don't know which flavor you want, you can get two of each of the nine flavors in a mixed box and then pick for yourself which one and what you want to order a full crate of. Also, they have limited time flavors that pop up on the site from time to time as well, depending on the season. Right now, blueberry muffin might be lurking around out there. And I highly recommend if you see it on the site, snap it up because it's the best tasting protein bar I have ever tried. And that is among all of the pro- the, the built bar flavors. Blueberry muffin is hands down number one for me. It's awesome. I got to get myself a whole bucket worth of those. And also, again, built bars, as you know, are good for you and also great tasting. 17 to 18 grams of protein in all their bars, just four or five grams of sugar, four or five grams of net carbs, and 130 to 180 calories in all their bars, much less than your standard not at all good for you candy bar. Go to built.com, use the promo code locked on, all one word, and get 15% off your order. That is the promo code locked on. Oh, sorry, locked 15, that is for 15% off at built.com. All right, Tony, uh, game uh, two between the Pacers and Raptors on Saturday in Indianapolis. It's the second night of a back-to-back for the Raptors. Is it also the second night of a back-to-back for the Pacers? Are they playing on Friday night? Yeah, okay. So I think both teams are traveling as well. So good, good time. Not a fun Great scheduling. Hey, worst Lovely product. scheduling. We love the NBA. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, so the game uh, game two, uh, you know, I guess let, let's just start looking at matchup stuff, right? This is the fun part of playing a team in quick succession here is you get some adjustments and you kind of see them in real time. What do you think the Pacers do? Let's go back to what we were talking about before the break with OG. Do they change the way they approach guarding OG? Do they change the primary defender on him? Do they send double teams his way from the jump? Like, what's the approach to OG to try to stop him from punking them once again, which he's done very many times in a row now? Yeah, just generally for both teams. And for the Raptors, this is less the case because Nurse has been their coach for a while. But this is the first time this season with these rosters that we get to see how these franchises adjust against opponents they have played already, right? What yeah. kind of counters do they have in general? So it'll be kind of a revealing game for both teams and for Pacers fans specifically. They've never seen Carlisle, at least in this era, right. have a second opponent again, right? So this is the first time we'll get to see how he responds to a loss like that, which will be very fascinating. And yeah, chief among them, there's really two things, but the big one is how do they, how do they slow down OG? What different things can they throw at him? Because the other one is how do they get Sabonis more involved? You know, you, you right. mentioned that last segment, but 
even that is secondary to how do you stop a guy scoring 16 points in a quarter? And I think that, you know, I, I mentioned this last segment, the lowest hanging fruit would be just try Torrey Craig for a few minutes. You know, he talked about that. Rick Carlisle did at Pacers practice on Thursday. And mm-hmm. he was just like, yeah, I didn't I didn't go to him until the fourth quarter. That was basically his answer, which <laughs> isn't an answer. Um, Forgot he was there. Uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it. he just he tried what he tried, and it didn't work, right? So maybe he changes the rotation slightly, especially because Brogdon is not most likely not going to play. Uh, mm-hmm. So the rotation will just look different in general. So Torrey Craig's one option, or they kind of go to what the Raptors do and really overload his space and make other guys – Either Like, the Pacers started terribly from three, which made it way easier for the Raptors to mm-hmm. overload Sabonis, right? Maybe the Pacers can overload OG and make the Raptors be the team that's shooting to win this time. So that could be another tweak as well. But, yeah, just in general, that change of what do they do differently to slow down OG or in, in, in bigger forwards in general? Like, I know it's OG, so it's different, but that, that storyline has mattered for the Pacers for so long. How does Rick Carlisle adjust to stop that player archetype? will be fascinating from the Pacers' side in this game. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, if I am the Pacers, I might take a page out of the Raptors book. And obviously the Raptors have the personnel to play like a hyper aggressive defense where they're rotating and they're constantly trying to recover the space that they're making up by being over aggressive. I wonder even if the personnel is not quite there. And I know they have like two sort of hulking bigs and it's not like the easiest thing to do, but... I wonder if maybe they just really lean into sending extra attention OG's way and trust that, oh, you know, Fred Van Vliet's not going to shoot six of seven from three again and trust that right. Delano Banton's not going to hit two threes again and maybe just kind of count on some regression from the Raptors. I think they shot 14 of 30 from three in that game after a pretty rough start. They were just like amazing to close the game, dead eye. Maybe you count on the Raptors being the Raptors on offense and, you know, considering the fact that you have Precious Achua. Scotty Barnes, Gary Trent Jr., Fred Van Vliet, kind of around OG. It's not exactly like a murderer's row of offensive options. You know, Trent's been kind of hot and cold with his three this season. He was quite good. I mean, he's been good all season defensively, but, you know, his, his three's been up and down. You know, Precious and Barnes non-threats. I, I wonder if maybe you just try to force OG to make those passes out of those double teams a ton, and maybe you get enough luck, you know, forcing a bad pass from OG here forcing a missed, you know, clunker of a three from Trent or from Precious or something there. Maybe that's the way you kind of, you know, get that margin back. You know, I'm curious. I want to ask you about this. So the Raptors have not really had a lot of leads. They they, they beat the, the Celtics pretty badly. The Celtics are an embarrassing uh, team with already hilarious vibes around them, which is great. Um, but last night was sort of the first inkling I had that if the Raptors get a lead, they're going to be tough to catch up to like i know the nba now is like there's comebacks from 20 points down all the time but this team in particular feels like they're able to kind of lock it in and not give up those crazy spurts to teams maybe it's just the pacers and their sort of lack of offensive firepower with no tj warren and sort of you know working in chris duarte and it's not you know totally a well-oiled machine just yet but do you think the pacers are the kind of team that can sort of put points on the board in quick succession if the Raptors are to get out to a lead. I, I, I'm testing this theory that the Raptors are going to be like this amazing fourth quarter team when they go in with a lead just because their defense is going to be that smothering. But that could be totally wrong. Maybe the Pacers have the juice and maybe Chris Duarte goes for 20 in a, in a fourth quarter or something like that. And it's not my theory falls flat after two days. But I, I'm curious what you think about that. The TSN broadcast was sort of talking about how like all the Raptors players are playing so free in the fourth quarter, right? And right. because, like we mentioned earlier, they're such like a long and rangy team, defensively especially, that kind of style is really, really strong, right? So that's how they were able to just make the Pacers just 
they had nothing they could do. So yeah, I, I, I do agree that the Raptors could be a good team playing from ahead for that reason. If those guys aren't thinking so much because they're up by a lot, they actually could be better than most teams. And you kind of nailed it with the Pacers, right? Like Sabonis has a lot of what they do sometimes anyway. So because they don't have like crazy good shooters on this team and because they don't have two of their best individual creators, although Levert could actually be back. Yeah, he was a game-time decision on Wednesday, right? In fact, yeah, I would imagine he is because he either will come back against his former team in Brooklyn or at home. Like Those seem like two good options. He's already trending in that direction. So Levert could be back, which could be helpful, but they don't have a great self-creators on that team, so they're not going to be a team that comes back from 20 down if they get in that situation. And to your point about the shooting when they were 14 for 30, like even now after that game, you check the Raptors' just general team page, and they're 24th in the league in three-point percentage still. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, I hate to be captain reductive. I hate being this guy on the podcast. But, like, maybe that's the difference in the game. Maybe they just miss. You know, yeah. that, that's basketball for you. So perhaps overloading OG could change the game. And that way, then the Pacers don't have to play from behind. Yeah, I, I think – I would do that because I just, I don't see a singular option to throw at OG and just say, all right, man, go to work. Maybe Torrey Craig's the guy, but then you have Torrey Craig on the floor for a long stretch of minutes and that's going to cut into your offense as well. And I feel like you need every offensive option you can have against this Raptors defense with the way it's playing already so far this season. So very interesting matchup and fun little dynamic to kind of uh, see how OG kind of plays into it all. Well, I got to flip your improvement question. How do the Pacers play better? We talked about that. The Raptors had a, a stretch or two where they were looking weak. The Pacers were winning in the second quarter. Like, people forget this yeah. game was competitive for a while. The really bad part for the Raptors in this game was four bench dudes and Scotty Barnes. So, yeah. one question is kind of, wh- why did they try that? And two, if you know how, what can they do differently in those instances to not just be, be a, a flotsam of players that can't really succeed? Yeah, Nurse was really kind of like heat-checking himself with some lineups last night. <laughs> and it worked in the first quarter. He brought in Birch, uh, the Canadian crew, Birch, uh, Bar- Boucher. Who's the other Canadian? Uh, Banton. Yeah, Birch, Boucher, Banton. I think he was out there with uh, Barnes and OG. And it was just like, this is I don't really see who's creating anything here. But they ended up kind of winning those minutes, and they were just fine in that stretch. But yeah, the second quarters have been tricky because they haven't quite found a bench lineup yet. And, you know, Goran Dragic getting benched last night, kind of I think you know I I'm really torn in this drogish thing because I, I feel like he's a lot better than he's shown and I also understand them not wanting to really like give him all that much time because he's not part of the long-term plans it's kind of a weird conundrum but I do think those second unit minutes have been a sore spot for the Raptors and I, I feel like Nurse is still trying to figure out how to properly do his rotations right now while having one of you know, his good guys on the floor, basically Fred and OG, one of them has to be on the floor at all times. I think for this team to really succeed until Pascal gets back, I would even throw Barnes into that group of guys who should always, you know, one of those three should be on the floor. Two of those three should be on the floor with the way Barnes has played. But yeah, I think, you know, avoiding lineups where it's Scotty Barnes and four bench guys is probably option number one. If you're Nick nurse, like that's just not going to get it done. And I don't know why there was ever an impression that it was going to get it done. You know, maybe it's just you're trying to steal some minutes, and that's kind of what the Raptors have done in the past. Like I said, you know, sometimes their, uh, you know, their second units have been like, all right, let's go with a four to two sort of stretch over six minutes and just try to try to survive with five guys who play defense and no offense. That's been a plan for Nick Nurse in the past, but I don't know if it's terribly viable when you are co- going against like a legitimate NBA team in the second quarter that is like presumably going to adjust to all of this stuff. It, it's yeah. It, the lineup stuff has been weird, and I think it's just a matter of Nurse figuring out how to use the 11 or 12 guys he has who are pretty good. 
And, you know, that, that you're going to get into some times there where you're experimenting and the experiment goes horribly bad and your Bunsen burner explodes all over you. And that could very well take place for the Raptors if they continue to try out these bizarro lineups where Fred or OG is not on the floor. I agree with all of that. Uh, I'll be curious to see if they adjust in any way, because without that stretch, like the Pacers would have been sunk way earlier, I think, in that game. But Brogdon getting hurt also completely changed the game. You wanted to play a short little game for us to end. Oh, yeah. Yeah, had a little parlor game I wanted to play. We got like three questions. It's not like it's anything crazy or anything like that. But the Pacers and Raptors figure to be teams that are close in the standings all season long. Unless the Pacers start is indicative of something really bad to come. I don't think it's going to be that bad. There's a lot of good players on that team. But you seem less than convinced from looking at your face right now. Um, but let's just assume that the Raptors and Pacers are kind of in that play-in bundle of teams fighting for you know spots 7 through 10. I want to just sort of see what your inklings are as a couple of these questions. So number one, uh, who finishes higher Raptors or Pacers who got, who you got higher in the standings? You know, you can maybe just go with your preseason prediction, or if you want to just use the five games that we've seen to maybe inform your take, what do you got? Yeah, no, my take on basically no team will change after five games, which I hate to be that guy, but it's only been five games and they have a new coach. Mm -hmm. The thing about the Pacers that's going to be tough for everyone who doesn't watch all their games is their schedule through like early December is in insane like yeah it's unbelievable there's a chance that they're six and 15 with like no bad losses it's it's right. really ridiculous how hard it is so they might get written off pretty early and it won't be indicative of how how good they are right so i still believe that they are you know in that seven eight range in the east that's kind of where i pegged them before the season so i have no mm -hmm. reason to change that but the rafters are impressing me uh early so perhaps they could they could get up ahead of the pacers but i don't i don't want to change my opinions after only five games i don't think anybody really is like wow i feel i was wrong about this team like i don't think anyone's <laughs> been that yet I, i'm gonna do the thing you're supposed to do on a podcast tony and have a hard take <laughs> uh <laughs> the raptors are gonna finish higher than the pacers i, I feel really good about what they've done over the first week without pascal siakam and a lot of the things they've not done well would be very, very help, helped out by the presence of Pascal Siakam. So I keep I, forgetting I feel, he's not playing. He's really good. That's the thing. I'm really second really team intrigued. all NBA two years ago. People forget that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the bubble, everybody, the bubble where everything was definitely real and not fake. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, hey, I'd say I Raptors covered a team with PJ Warren. The bubble was the realest thing that has ever happened ever. Yeah, that's true. And hey, the Suns did go to the finals. Maybe the bubble is the only real thing we've ever seen. <laughs> Who's to say? But um, I think I am fearful of the Pacers having like one of those seasons from hell. I don't know. But maybe that's too much. But maybe it's just me wanting to see some like something different from the Pacers, which they've been the same team for like four years. It seems it'd be nice to see them uh, like do something different, even if it is fall to the bottom. Also, I could see the Pacers really using a high pick and being happy with that. That would be nice too. Um, another one for you. Who finishes higher in all defense voting OG Ananobi or miles Turner? Ooh, that's tough. Miles got gets a lot of votes every year. He plays enough games to be eligible. He even got a lot of votes last year and he mm -hmm. only played like, 48%, 50% of the season. Uh, that's low. It's higher than that, but not much higher. So it's possible he gets it again. His trouble has always been the same thing. It's that Embiid and Gobert play his position. So yep. voting for him is always a little skewed by the fact that two beasts play center as well. So, you know, right so currently this season, I mean, I'll have to do a segment on this eventually. Uh, Carlisle's just not playing him like down yep. the stretch of games. He could play a lot in the first half and a little in the third and then not at all. And they've had a lot of close games. And so, you know, the one center lineups have been better for the Pacers for since the dawn of time with this duo. So I get like why it's just really strange how low the minutes are on the fourth. So if he doesn't end up playing very much, oh yeah, OG's going to smoke him in the votes because he's not even going to have enough minutes to have this 
giant sizable standout impact in the way that OG already has this year. Yeah, if Rick Carlisle were using him like uh, I think you should use Miles Turner, which is just uh, you know play him a lot because he's good at defense and it's nice to have him out there. Also, he shoots some threes. Like I like Miles Turner a lot. My Miles Turner agenda for the Raptors to trade for him still goes strong, even though it's not happening. But uh, <laughs> I I think. I would go Turner if I trusted that he was going to play a lot, but the not playing in the fourth quarter really hurts uh, that right now. So I will say OG for now as well. I'll bring you the last one here. Who finishes? I will, maybe what's the better way to frame this one? Okay, let's do this. Higher points per game between the two Dynamo rookies on these two teams, Scotty Barnes Ooh. or Chris Duarte. What you got? Wow. I loved Barnes pre-draft. So mm. this is a tough one. <sighs> you know, I want to pick Duarte because he has just been – flames so far mm-hmm. he looks he looks awesome like guys who can, he's already he might already be the best off the dribble shooter on the pacers which is crazy mm-hmm. the reason i'm not going to pick duarte is so lame but his role is going to get smaller when some of these guys come back from injuries lavert was one of them brogdon's hurt now so it might not change that much like right away but right his his, his role will get smaller in a way that i don't think scotty's will um, and Scotty's shooting 16% from three, which is like unsustainably bad. He's taken like four threes. He's not a good three point shooter, but once yeah. he gets any sort of range, I think he'll be like a solid 15 to 18 guy. And I think Duarte mm. settles in around 14, 12 ish. Once his role gets smaller, you know, he, he's got every right to shoot a bunch right now and he's doing a great job, but I, I don't know, maybe his role stays big or Warren comes back later than I'm thinking, but I'm going to barely go with Scotty, but that is Duarte's best skill so far, and it's very possible he catches him. Yeah, I will say Duarte finishes That's higher really points close. per you game. Can't be yeah, sorry. Hey, man, I'm a professional uh, parlor gamer, I suppose. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Duarte will finish higher points per game just because it feels like they really need him a whole lot. And I do think that when Pascal Siakam gets back, there's a chance, even though I won't agree with it, that Barnes moves to the bench and just has like a lesser wow. role. I mean, that could open up to open him up to be more of an offensive presence in those second units. So it could kind of work in his favor scoring wise in this very interesting parlor game that he definitely cares about. But um, I, I think I would probably pick Barnes to finish higher in like rookie of the year voting just because of the more sort of all encompassing impact. But scoring wise, I would say Duarte just because that dude really seems like he can get his own shot off. And Barnes, while he's like a really good finisher around the basket right now, still pretty dependent to have guys service him, you know, outside of the odd time where he'll put it on the deck and yam on Isaiah Jackson or whatever. But uh, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think I will go with Duarte as the higher scorer. To, uh, Isaiah Jackson is out. such a Raptors player. I can't believe he's not on the Raptors. He's cool. He was the only guy who could stay in front of uh, Scotty Barnes yesterday. He played that incredibly well until he got hurt. He was awesome. Yeah, that was. A, he blocked a right? lob that was so high. I thought they were about to call goaltending, and it wasn't even a shot. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, I uh, hope he's all right. Is he going to be playing on Saturday? No, no, no that's a bummer. He's finally going to uh, be playing for a while. Ew, that's not awesome. Uh, Shouts to Isaiah Jackson. We like that guy. I like, I've seen him play one time, but I like him. He was fun. Uh, anyway, I think that should probably be it. We've got very long here, Tony, but this was a lot of fun. Thanks for doing this, dude. It's uh, always a good time to catch up. Where can people check out all of your wonderful work? Yeah, of course, two people who talk into a microphone every day can't shut up when they're talking to each other. As you can see, if you're on YouTube on the banner, I'm on Twitter at T East NBA at Lockdown Pacers. If you want to listen to the podcast and I write in a couple of places, I share all those the links on my Twitter feeds. That's the easiest way to figure out where they all are. 
Right on. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, of course, at Woodley Sean. The Lockdown Raptors podcast is on your favorite platforms and on YouTube as well. And uh, you can listen to my other podcast called uh, Basketball. It's a fun podcast I do with Katie Heindel. Uh, in the most recent episode we did, we did our annual Halloween special where we do a dramatic reading of Katie's annual Halloween story, formerly posted to the classical, but she writes a new one every single year now for Basketball Feelings. And we did a very good dramatic reading where I did a good Clay Thompson stoner voice and a bunch of other fun voiceover stuff on that podcast you can listen to that on all your favorite podcast platforms as well and you can find my writing at raptorshq.com and that'll do it tony enjoy the game saturday buddy we'll talk again soon i'm sure